Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. Hello, everyone. We are doing a lecture episode this week. How are you? How have you been? I hope you're doing well. I've been well, and I'm very excited to do this episode this week. We're bringing somebody on that, of course, has graduated, but we have not had this person on the show yet, though they are a legend. We are bringing Wayne Dyer on the show this week in lecture form. For people that have never listened to a lecture on this show or don't understand what I'm doing here, if a person is on this planet in the third dimension and they're still alive, I should be able to interview them. They're out there. They have emails. They have agents, all of that. I can find them. I can talk to them. If they have graduated this life and they are over there, it's a lot harder. So I bring these people on through their classic lectures, through their rare lectures, wherever I find these recordings, we bring them on in that form. So they're here with us and spiritually they're here with us. Anyway, we're bringing them in. We're sending out the Wayne Dyer frequency. We're going to attract Wayne Dyer. And with me, of course, as with every lecture episode is my guest co-host. The reason she's not just co-host is because she's only here for the lecture episodes and the beyond the news episodes. And she's here with us right now, Bryn Anderson of Vinyl Force Herbs. Hello, Bryn. Hey, how's it going? It is going well. We're going to be listening to a lecture from Wayne Dyer today. He's somebody that's a legend, but has not been on the show yet. I think that sounds fabulous. I believe he's part of Louise Hayes Hay House Publishing Group as far as how his uh, books and information came out into the world. Interesting. Could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure. I think that's part of it. There's probably other facets as well. And this is going to be really exciting. Uh, He probably has a very storied career that I'm not fully aware of, but I know he's a big presence in the spiritual personal development field. But before we listen to that lecture, I need you to do something for me. Go to patreon.com slash midnight on earth and become a patron. It's very easy to do. It supports this podcast. There are no advertisements on this podcast. There are no corporate interests within this podcast. The only intention is to help humanity evolve, to help us unite and get to that next place, that wonderful new place. But I need help, and that's what Patreon is for. So if you go to patreon.com slash midnight on earth, there are different tiers of support, and you can pick a tier of support that works with your financial world. Do that for me. Go check that out. Patreon.com slash midnight on earth. And since you're still on the computer, follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. 
That is the address. You can follow me there. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all of the places that you can find digital podcasts, the players, the programs, the apps. I am there. Click the button that connects us so you know exactly what's going on. And tell a friend, tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts. You know them. They're your friends, your coworkers. Bring them here. Midnightonearth.com. Okay. So now, Bryn, we're about to listen to the lecture from Wayne Dyer, which is most likely very cool. It is called Living the Wisdom of the Dow, which is really not the Dow stock market, but the T-A-O, the pronounced Dow. That got me for a really long time. I always thought it was Tao. Like, and then somebody's like, no, dude, Dow. I'm like, oh, got it. The Wisdom of the Dow. But we have to read his bio. Because whether he's here or not, his energy, his presence, his spirit is here with us, just like a third dimensional guest. So here we go. Wayne Dyer was an American self-help author and motivational speaker. He was considered one of the fathers of the modern self-help movement or the fathers of motivation. Most of his childhood was spent in orphanages and foster homes and it was also the driving force that inspired him to move ahead in life. Wayne drew heavily from his life experiences. He started his career as a guidance counselor after receiving his degree in counseling from, coincidentally, Wayne State University. He published journals and set up a private therapy practice. His motivational speeches drew a large number of students to him, and encouraged him to put his thoughts in writing. The outcome was his first book, Your Erroneous Zones. Interesting, catchy title there, Wayne. Thereafter, he took to promoting his book with full vigor, making bookstore appearances and giving media interviews. He released audio tapes of his motivational speeches and made television appearances in talk shows. He denounced dwelling in guilt and emphasized on self-actualization and self-reliance. He did not talk about spirituality until much later in his career. He propagated the idea of being Christ-like or Buddha-like instead of being a Christian or a Buddhist. He married thrice and had eight children. He's thrice married. <laughs> And, you know, he's here with us in spirit. He checked out in 2015, eight years ago, as we record this, and uh, we're still going to be learning from him. And that's what I love about these lecture episodes. They're so powerful because these people have graduated, yet somehow they're immortal. They're still here in this dimension. And Bryn and I are taking notes. This is what happens on the lecture episodes. We listen to the recording together. Bryn and I are taking notes. So it's me and you and Bryn and Wayne. And after the recording is over, we go back over our notes. There's more. We go back over our notes. We talk about the points and the things that we learned from this wonderful human. So super cool. Stick around with us all the way to the end because we have so much fun and the reflection part is so fun. So, that's what happens, and that is what's going to happen as we listen to this lecture. Bryn, 
Bryn, are you ready to learn from Wayne Dyer? Yes, I am. I'm ready. You have your pen. I have my paper. I have your- many colors of pens, actually. All right. And I have some cold brew coffee that's really great on this hot day here. Do you know about Wayne Dyer? Do you know a lot about him? I don't know a lot about him. I have read some articles. I have seen a couple of short lectures, but I don't know a ton about him. I know his general vibe, but I I can't say I know everything about him. I didn't even know what he looked like, to be completely honest. I knew about his books, but he has videos. He has a lot on YouTube. And what he's teaching, his vibe, is also new to me in a lot of ways. So we're doing this together, everyone. Wayne Dyer, here we go. This is Living the Wisdom of the Tao. I don't know when this was recorded, but it's timeless. So, right? Who who cares? It's It just is. It's now. It's in the now. So <laughs> here we go, people. Wayne Dyer, Living the Wisdom of the Tao. Please, thank you so much. It's so, so wonderful to be back on public television. It's now 10 years we've been uh, creating public television uh, programs. Um, It's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. I obviously support public television. It's, uh, It's a way to bring higher consciousness to our entire country, and I'm proud and pleased to be here. This is a program about changing your life not in the traditional way that we think of when we think about changing our lives. Usually that means changing your behaviors, retraining yourself, getting new habits, going out and trying them out and changing your life. This is about changing your thoughts and then your life will change. Change your thoughts, change your life. It's the name of this program, it's the name of the book. It is something that I very, very strongly endorse that we have within us the ability and the capacity through the way that we use our minds and the way that we process things and events to make our lives totally shift and change around and i can tell you that it doesn't make any difference what age you are whether you're a teenager watching this or whether you're someone uh, in your 60s 70s 80s or anywhere along the way you can make that change and i'll tell you it happened for me Uh, Two years ago, on the uh, 10th of May, uh, I turned 65, and the next day, uh, on the 11th of May, I had a life-changing thing take place for me. I changed the way that I was thinking about who I am, about what kind of a man I am, about what kind of a person I intend to be for the rest of my life and where I'm going. And something began to resonate with me that I had to make a shift and make a change at the age of 65. I had a a wonderful uh, office, uh, which was really a townhouse. It was filled with over 20,000 books. It was filled with clothing. It was filled with uh, records of all kinds. It had uh, pictures on the wall. I had awards that I had received over the years, and everything that I had accumulated, literally, in this physical world, um, had accumulated in that office. I turned the key and handed it to my manager, Maya, who's been with me for almost 30 years, 
And I said, I would like you to sell everything or distribute everything that's in there. Sell the townhouse, get rid of it. Take all the records, all the books. I got rid of my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and I um, <clears throat> left it all behind and turned it over to her to get, to get rid of everything. I detached myself from a lifetime of accumulations. And I moved uh, full-time to a place uh, over in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on one of our great islands called Maui. And in the next um, months, I began to get a lot of things coming to me about what my life was to, uh, what was to unfold, things that I wasn't even expecting. And I think about this idea about uh, what age you are and um, whether or not changes and shifts can be made and how difficult so many people uh, attribute this to. They say, it's just, that's an impossibility. I couldn't possibly do that. I'm so attached to all of these things or I'm too old, uh, I've, been, I've been living in the same place too long, whatever it might be. Um, right here in this audience is one of, the, uh, one of the women that I revere, I think more than, uh, more than any other woman I can think of in the professional world. Um, at the age of 60, she changed her thoughts and her life changed dramatically. She started a publishing company called Hay House which is one of the world's largest publishers of spiritual and higher consciousness materials. She wrote a book called You Can Heal Your Life. She's here today. Her name is Louise Hay. Louise, would you stand up and be acknowledged? Thank you, sweetheart. Louise, uh, with a great number of people from all over the world, just celebrated her 80th birthday. So, I should look so good even at 60, all right? <laughs> and um, I'm just so deeply honored that you're here, dear. Thank you. Um, what happened for me in the next few months was, um, was absolutely life-changing. I had a friend tell me who was uh, severely addicted to uh, all kinds of drugs and alcohol, who was basically uh, very close to, uh, to death. He refused all kinds of treatment. He wouldn't go through the programs and so on. But he read a book. And the book was called The Tao Te Ching. The Tao Te Ching. T-A-O-T-E-C-H-I-N-G. Tao Te Ching. Tao in ancient Chinese means the way, the great way. T-E is the term that means the application of or the virtue of. And Qing, in ancient Chinese, means book. So it's the book for applying the virtue of living the way. That's what this book means. And he told me that, and I thought, I've heard of the Tao Te Ching. I've heard of Taoism. I've been, I'm familiar with that. I had read about it uh, when I was in college. I'd even lectured a little bit about it when I was teaching at a university in, in New York City, at St. John's University. Um, it was uh, something that I had sort of a, a cursory uh, awareness of. But it wasn't uh, something that I was really profoundly interested in. I was watching a TV show one night and someone talked about the Tao on there. I walk into a uh, bookstore and there's a copy of the Tao. This is all happening in the six months or so that uh, between uh, when I had left and knowing that it was time for me to detach myself from all of the things that had been so much a part of my life and move on into a new area of my life. So I, 
I couldn't resist it any longer, and I said, I really want to, I really want to read the Tao, and I'm going to take the next year, a full year, and in that year, what I would like to do is I would like to read each verse. There are 81 verses in the Tao Te Ching. You can read it in an afternoon, but you can study it for a lifetime. And in the studying of this, I said I would like to just take those 365 days for the next year, and in every four days, I'm going to read one verse. Some of them are only four lines long. Some of them are 12, 16 lines long. I'm going to create for myself a, uh, a way of seeing if I can live this Tao. And what I did was I would read it, then I would meditate on it, I would walk on it, I would get, go swim on it. When I would do yoga, I would practice it, and then I would sit down after the fourth day. And I had a picture of the man who was considered to be the author of this, although there's no historical actual record of his name is Lao Tzu. This is the visage that I looked at. This is the image of an artist's drawing of Lao Tzu in ancient Chinese means old man, old man. He was the old man who was living in, the, in China in the time of the warring states, and he decided he didn't want any more to do with war and violence and hatred and killing and all of the things that were so much a part of his world. And he got on his oxen and he left, and before he left to go off and be by himself, he dictated some 5,000 Chinese characters, these 81 verses that became the Tao Te Ching. There are some people who call the Tao Te Ching the wisest book ever written. If you Google this thing called the Tao Te Ching, you'll come up with over 1,300,000 hits on the Tao Te Ching. Not only that, there are 14,000 translations of the Tao Te Ching that I have come across. So what I did is I took 10 of those uh, translations, the ones that seemed to be the most relevant, the ones that seemed to have the most meaning to those people who lived in this part of the Western world, and I combined them into what I consider to be uh, the most useful uh, translation of the Tao Te Ching. And each morning I would get up and I would look at this picture and I would ask, what is it that you would say to the people who are living now at this time, given the conditions that we have in our life right here? What is it you would do? Many people call this a manual for achieving a way of life that literally guarantees integrity, joy, peace, and balance in our life. Now, there was a man who was a contemporary of Lao Tzu. His name was Confucius. He was many years younger than Lao Tzu, but he kept hearing about this old man who had all of this great wisdom. And one day, he decided that he was going to go, legend says, and visit Lao Tzu. And he spent uh, a full day listening to this man, because Confucius was someone in China who was trying to lay down all the rules of etiquette and how to conduct yourself and trying to dictate to the people what they should be. Lao Tzu had nothing to do with any of that. And when he went to uh, see uh, Lao Tzu, he came back and he talked to all of his people. And this is what he said. He said, of birds, I know they have wings to fly with. Of fish, that they have fins to swim with. Of wild beasts, that they have feet to run with. For feet, there are traps. For fins, there are nets. For wings, arrows. But who knows how dragons surmount wind and cloud into heaven? Mm -hmm. 
This day I have seen Lao Tzu, and he is a dragon. And there he is, a dragon. And a dragon in ancient Chinese was a, uh, a picture of someone or something that was so mysterious and so uh, difficult to comprehend because it could always be something else. There was a great teacher who came many years after that. His name was Rumi, who was a Jalaluddin Rumi, who was a great poet, a Persian poet in the 14th century. And he had, uh, he had a line, he said, the day that you were born, a ladder was set up to help you to escape from this world. I believe that the Tao Te Ching and this thing that I have done, this uh, change your thoughts, change your life effort that I spent one full year on every single day doing exactly what I just said is a ladder that will help you to return. In the Tao, there's a very famous line. The 40th verse of the Tao says, returning is the motion of the Tao. Returning is the motion of the Tao. So that all of us came from a divine spiritual essence, invisible. Everything in the world of form emanated from something that is formless. There was a split second when you went from non-being to being. And what Lao Tzu was trying to teach was to be able to return to that place from which you came and live your life from the spiritual perspective and become a God-realized being. Another great poet, T.S. Eliot, once said, we shall not cease from exploration. And at the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. For the first time. What, what I'm asking you to do and what Lao Tzu seemed to be saying was, learn to die while you're alive, because you will ultimately return. All of us have a return trip, a, a round trip ticket when we came in, didn't we? <laughs> but if you could learn to die while you're alive, and there's a great story, I, I have to tell you this story, I wanna read this story to you. It's um, a way to look at this idea of dying while you're alive. It's, um, it goes like this, to die while we are alive gives us the only opportunity we'll, we will ever have to get outside of this package that houses us temporarily. There's an ancient parable that repeated generation after generation by the spiritual masters of India, which illustrates this point. Listen to this wonderful story. A traveler from India went to Africa to acquire some local products and animals, and while in the jungle, he saw thousands of beautiful, multicolored talking parrots. He decided to capture a talking parrot and take it back as his pet. At home, he kept his parrot in a cage and he fed him and he gave him wonderful seeds and honey and played music for his pet. And generally, he treated him very well. When it was time for the man to return to Africa two years later, he asked his parrot if there was any message that he could deliver to the parrot's friends who were back in the jungle. Well, the parrot told his master to say that he was very happy in his cage and that he was enjoying each day and to convey his love. Well, when the traveler arrived back in Africa, he delivered the message to the parrots back in the jungle. Just as he finished his story, a parrot 
with tears welling up in his eyes, fell over dead. The man was alarmed, and he decided that the parrot must have been very close to the parrot in the cage, and that this was probably the reason for the sadness and for his demise. When the traveler returned to India, he told his pet what had happened. As he finished his story, the pet parrot's eyes welled up with tears, and he kneeled over dead in his cage. The man was astounded, but he figured that his pet died from the despair of hearing of the death of his close friend back in the jungle. The trader opened up the cage and tossed the dead bird outside onto the trash heap. Immediately, the pet parrot flew up to a branch on the tree outside. The trader said to him, so you're not dead after all. Why did you do that? You tricked me. And the parrot responded, because that bird back in Africa sent me a very important message. What was the message? The trader wanted to know. He told me that if you want to escape from your cage, you must die while you're alive. We must indeed die while we are alive in order to be able to look back at our waking consciousness and see ourselves trapped in our cage, which in our case is our body. And then we will see how unnecessary it is to remain caged. Isn't that a great story? I love that story. Yeah, you can applaud. What I encourage you to do is to create for yourself a sacred space. And in this sacred space, I would like you to place everything that has energy value to you. Photographs. I have this photograph that I looked at every day for one year and began to talk to after a while. <laughs> it's a little weird, but you begin to get this idea. And those of you who wonder why I am wearing no shoes, I'd like you to know that uh, where I live, you never walk into a sacred space with your shoes on. It would be considered dishonorable to do so. And to me, this stage, this setting, this beautiful place, and this beautiful symbol is a sacred, sacred space. I live without shoes. I heard it said once that if you wear shoes everywhere you go, the whole earth will feel like leather. <laughs> and it's nice to feel what the earth feels like and to feel that naturalness. So in that sacred space, you will feel the energy of the photographs, of, the, of any <clears throat> mementos that you have, of pictures of your children, of drawings, of statues, of uh, <clears throat> anything at all that you can think of. I have a beautiful sacred space, and it calls me. And as it calls me, when I go into that place that is so profoundly sacred to me, the most beautiful things begin to happen for me, particularly in the middle of the night when no one else is up and I feel closest to God, and I feel closest to this beautiful old man who sent so many important messages to me through his Tao Te Ching and in my meditations to help me to create this program, change your thoughts, change your life, living the wisdom of the Tao. What I would like to do now is to look at the, some of the key thoughts that I would like you to think about and consider changing as you, as you become a person who becomes more God-realized, that is, 
someone who has died but stayed alive and returned and went back on that return trip. The first of these thoughts to change is to change the idea that I can't trust in my own nature. Two, I trust in my own nature. Did it ever occur to you that you have a nature? That that nature is so profound and is always calling you. You know it. No one else can know it. No one else can impose it on you. No one else can tell you what it is that you feel in here that you know is why you're here and what you're doing here. There's no one else can explain that or explore that with you. You can't, you can't share it. Everything in the universe has a nature. Your dog has a nature. A crocodile has a nature. A duck has a nature. A crow has a nature. Everything has its nature. Everything has a dharma, including you. But what we've learned and we've grown up to believe is that I can't trust in that nature. My nature, to trust in your nature, to know that you came from a divine place of well-being and to trust in it. Listen to this, verse 38 of the Tao, a few lines. The great master follows his own nature and not the trappings of life. A truly good man is not aware of his goodness and is therefore good. Think about yourself, the first, the first moment of life, the very first moment, that speck when you went from nowhere, N-O-W-H-E-R-E, -E, to now here, N-O-W-H-E-R-E, -E, from nowhere to now here. Same thing, just a little question of spacing, just a little different <laughs> spacing, all right? So you went from nowhere, now you're in now here, and where do you think you're going? Nowhere, <laughs> right? Back to nowhere. Who out there watching? Who in this audience isn't going back to nowhere? That's where we're all headed, back to nowhere. So in that split second, then you lived inside your mother's womb for nine months. And in that nine month period of time, you trusted your nature. You didn't have a sonogram and say, oh my God, I don't have a nose. <laughs> This is very scary. What if it doesn't show up on time? Or you didn't do any of that. You trusted completely in your own nature, right? And so did your mother. There's very little that you can do because what you were to become, everything that this physical body needed was all handled in there. And also, beyond what was needed for your physical world and what Lao Tzu called the, ten, the world of the 10,000 things. The 10,000 things. There's 10 zillion things, obviously, in the physical world, but that's what he, how he named it, the world of the 10,000 things. And in that world of the 10,000 things, everything returns back to its source. But while you're in that place, and why wouldn't you believe, even maybe for a second, that not only was my physiology all handled for me, but everything else that I needed, if I could just stop interfering with it and stop other people from doing it, that everything I needed, and that's a big part of understanding, change your thoughts, change your life. It's a big part of that. The idea that I have a nature that I can trust, not something that I have to be afraid of, and I can stop letting other people interfere with it as well. So what happens? We go through those nine months, totally uninterrupted, we have no questions, everything works out, and then what? We say the very first thing, we pop out after nine months, we'll take over from here. <laughs> that was good work. <laughs> nice work, God. Thank you very much. And so what we'll do is just sort of edge you out of here, you know? So we edge God out. 
we take on an ego, E-G-O, and we edge out and we say, we'll take over. And we have an ego, and this ego, what this ego does is it takes on a set of beliefs. And these beliefs are that I am what I have, that I am what I do, that I am what other people think of me. So we're raised to believe that the more stuff I accumulate, the more, the more things that I get, this is who I am. The more that people like me, this is what I'll get. And on and on it goes. I want to tell you a story. It's a story of one of my children. Her name is Tracy. We lived in Detroit uh, when she was born. She came in as a little rebellious. She came in in the middle of the Detroit riots when they said, nobody is allowed to go out. Anybody that goes out is going to be arrested. And she said, this would be a good time for me to show up. <laughs> Which is exactly what she did. <laughs> so when she showed up, after about the second or third year, Tracy went to preschool. And she came home from preschool, she was about three, and in that uh, time she came home and she said, uh, uh, she handed me a, a paper, and it had a gold star at the top of the paper. And I looked at it and I said, uh, and she said, Daddy, 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 I got a gold star, I got a gold star. I said, uh, I'm not really interested in gold stars. I said, but um, what, are, what, are, what are you doing? What is this? What, what? She said, well, we did something in school called adding, and I got them all right, and I know how to, I said, adding? I can't believe, you're three. You can't learn to add when you're three. And I went through this whole long thing about adding and how terrific it was, and she kept saying, Daddy, the gold star, excuse me, but I was the only one in the class that got a gold star. I got them all right. I said, uh, you know, Tracy, I said, honey, that, uh, I said, some people just need to have gold stars, and, and teachers sort of like to give it out and, and make, make that the reason why you're doing something, I said, and set you apart from everybody else. I said, but your dad doesn't really care much about that and how you stack up with others, and they're gonna be, uh, I'm more interested in what you're learning. And she said, okay, she was used to that. She had a weird daddy, and she knew that. <laughs> so about another month or so, she came home with a, uh, uh, with a paper that had uh, looked like it had had a gold star on it, but it had obviously been taken off. Her little thumbprints were all over, but there was a place where there had been a gold star, it was taken off. And I said, what's this? Oh, she said, uh, we're now doing subtraction. And I said, subtraction? That's amazing. And I took over by her dresser. I said, you know that money you've got in your piggy bank? I put it in my pocket. I said, that's called subtraction. Isn't that great? And she said, give me that money back. And we talked and talked about subtraction. Finally, I couldn't, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, honey, what happened? What was this? What was here at the paper? And she said, oh, she said that. She said, the teacher gave me another one of those gold stars. I said, really? I said, well, what happened to it? Oh, she said, I took it off. I said, well, what'd you do with it? She said, I gave it back to her. <laughs> I said, well, what did you tell her? She said, oh, I told her to uh, give it to someone who needs that sort of thing. <laughs> True story. Yeah, and there she is. She's standing right here. She's gonna be 40 this year, my daughter, Tracy. <laughs> so what we have to do is learn how to Take this ego of ours, this part of us that believes that who we are is what we have and what we do and what other people think of us. But remember, if you grow up believing that you are what you do, then when you don't, you aren't. And if you believe that you are what you have, when it's gone, you aren't. And if you believe that you are what other people think of you, your reputation, which we raise people to believe, it's my, I have to be concerned with what other people think of me. Take this ego and retrain it.
And one of the ways that you do to retrain it is, first, you take this idea that the ego has of fear. What are you afraid of? Anybody out there, what are you afraid of? Shift from fear to curiosity. Become curious about what you're afraid of. That's what Lao Tzu taught me. Become curious about what you're afraid of. You're afraid of flying? Get curious about that. Get interested in that. You're, you're afraid of snakes. You're afraid of disapproval. You're afraid. Just shift from fear and say, I'm going to become more curious about what I'm afraid of. And then take all of the things that you're attached to, like all of your photographs, like all of your furniture, like all of your clothing, like all of the stuff that you find so much attachment to, and start letting it go. Start letting it go. You know, the day that I turned that key on uh, May the 11th in 2006, I didn't even know where I was going. I just knew there was a shift taking place. I felt freer than I'd ever felt, I think, in my life. In in my mid-60s, out there on a whole new adventure. And here we are talking about it on on national television, on PBS. Take that idea that you have to be attached to things and know that you came in with nothing, with no thing. And you're going to leave with nothing, with no thing. And understand that your life is a parenthesis in eternity. Live there without attachments. And then take your need to be in control of yourself, of others, of the situation, and shift from control to trust. Begin to have a trust. Lao Tzu is profound about this. In each one of the 81 verses, it comes up about 60 times as you look at letting go and letting God, allowing yourself to trust in your nature, allowing yourself to no longer believe that everything has to be controlled by me and that other people no longer have to be in control of me as well. Begin to trust, just like you did for the first nine months. You trusted. Your nose showed up. Your height showed up. Your eyes showed up. Whatever. It all showed up. It's all perfect. It's all the... Why not wander through your life and have this wonderful, peaceful knowing that it's all fine? And finally, shift from your sense of entitlement. What? Nobody, nobody can treat me that way. I'm entitled to have this. Well, I paid for that. I let go. I mean, that in one year, I let go of all of my entitlements. I have. I don't feel I'm entitled to anything. I'm just here. Shift from. Entitlements to radical humility. Lao Tzu speaks about it so often. Stay humble. Stay low. The greatest leaders are the ones who do the least. The ones who stay back and and just model and allow. And at the end of the day, in one of the verses of the Tao, it says, the people will say, we did it ourselves. We did it ourselves. In verse 49 of the Tao Te Ching, here's an exact quote. The sage is kind to the kind and kind to the unkind because the nature of his being is kindness. And also, be wise and help all beings impartially, abandoning none. You know what I do? Just before I did this program, I have to admit I was nervous. I was humbled by it. Like, who are you, Wayne Dyer? Who are you to read the Tao and believe that you can interpret it on television and interpret it 
in a book and spend a year and say, like, I got real humble with that. And you know what I say? Tao, which is just another word for God, or source, or Krishna, or Allah, or whatever you want to call it, guide me. Guide me now. I have that awareness before I come out. If you, if you knew, it says in the Course in Miracles, if you knew who walked beside you at all times on this path that you have chosen, you could never experience fear or doubt again. I remember Mother Teresa saying to a dear friend of mine who was asking what could he do, what could he do to, uh, to do something for her. He was, uh, his name was Pat McMahon. He was on KTR radio in uh, Phoenix. And finally Mother Teresa said to him, you can do something for me. She said, tomorrow morning, get up at 4 a.m. and go out onto the streets of Phoenix and find someone who's living there who believes that he's alone and convince him that he's not. That's what you can do. That's how saints talk. That's how Lao Tzu spoke. Okay, let's go on to the next thought, to change. So you're changing from not trusting in your nature to trusting in your nature. You change your thought from, I need more, to what I call living contentment. What is this thing about more? It's the, it's the mantra of the ego, isn't it? <laughs> I have to have more. I have to collect more stuff. I have to have more friends. I have to have more money. It's more, 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 more. When where you came from, came from nowhere. You don't need anything. It's a continuous bombardment that we are all exposed to in this whole world of believing that we have to have more. It's one of the reasons why I love public television so much. You don't see ads on PBS. You don't have to be constantly exposed to the idea that you have to have more and you have to get more. And if you don't have this, then you're not complete and so on. So we get bombarded with this idea of attracting more. And Lao Tzu says, live contentment. Live in a state of being contented. Here's verse 81, the last verse of the Tao Te Ching. My favorite translation of it, and I put it right into the book. Sages do not accumulate anything, but give everything to others. Having more, the more they give. Mm -hmm. It's a great lesson. My son Sands, who's, uh, you know, we're very, very close. We just spent a couple of months together over in Maui, just, just being together, just being. It was a divine time. And he came home with, um, it was last summer, he came home with four t-shirts that he loved. And I said, well, honey, I said, which, which one do you like the best? He said, well, that one over there, that blue one, it's got the writing and it's got the drawing and it's got a, a surfer and it's got, and I said, that's great. I said, uh, I'd like to have that one. <laughs> he said, no, no, dad, that's my favorite. That's the one I, that's the one I like the best. I said, I know. I said, that's the one. I, uh, would you mind if I had that one? He said, I would mind a lot <laughs> if you had that one. He said, maybe you can have one. I'm not so crazy about this one over here. I said, so you're going to give me something you don't like? You know, I said, I want, I, I, that's the one. I love that because we have the same taste. Could I have that one? He said, Dad, you're crazy. He said, you can't have my favorite T-shirt. I said, well, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about detaching and, and letting go and not needing to have more. And he's heard me talk about this stuff his entire life. So finally, he just, you know, I went in and I tried it on and I said, ah, oh, this thing looks so great. <laughs> Looking in the mirror, you know, thing. He said, Dad, that, that really is mine. I said, yeah. I said, but you're, you're going to give it to me. He said, no, no. I said, yeah, well, just think about it, you know, because I, 
I'm your dad, and I'd really like to have this. And <laughs> so he reluctantly parted with it. And uh, so the next, I, the next uh, that evening, I was still wearing the shirt. And he looked at me, and he said, oh, that's my shirt. I said, you know, Sands, I said, uh, you gave me the shirt. I said, um, I'm going to wear this shirt until you are happy that I have your favorite shirt. <laughs> I'm, gonna just, I'm never going to take it off until you are happy. He said, well, you'll be wearing that shirt a long time. <laughs> I said, well, that's okay. So I wore it the next day. I got up. I slept in it that night. I got up the next... I did. I got up the next morning. I put it on, and that Sands would come in, and oh, he'd look at me. I said, oh, you're still not happy that you gave me something that you really love, because that, this is what it really means to be a sage. This is what it means to be a divine being, to be someone who's willing to depart with uh, not the things they don't like, but what they do like. I wore it the next day, I wore it the next day. I wore it for two weeks. <laughs> Take it off only to wash it, put it right back on. Two solid weeks, each one of my children will tell you. Finally, one day he said, Dad, I'm so happy. I am so thrilled that you have that T-shirt. I said, oh, that's great. I can finally take this thing off. I'm going I'm to just give it away. But it's like, what a great lesson in that. The idea that you, you take, you know, there's a rule. It's called the 80-20 rule. And in the 80-20 rule, it says um, everything that you have, all of your stuff, 20% of it is what you use. All of your clothes in your closet, 20%, you just keep using the same 20% over and over. 80% of the clothing that you have in your, in your closet for so many people is something that you never use, you don't wear. You look at it, you store it, you think, well, there might come a day, oh, I can't part with that, even though you've been carting it around every time you move, you move it and you put it... <laughs> Take the 80% that you don't use, says Lao Tzu, and give it away. Give it away. Lao Tzu said that when your cup is full, stop pouring. When your cup is full, stop pouring. We have an obesity crisis in the, in the United States, in the Western world. The obesity crisis can be handled if you just read the Tao. If you realize, in verse 33, it says, if you realize you have enough, you are truly rich. If you could just learn something called portion control, where you just take a bite and you say, is my cup full? Stop pouring. Stop pouring. In other words, instead of filling yourself with, with that which is already a surplus, in the Tao it teaches us to take surpluses and to reduce them and to take deficiencies and increase them so that we create balance in our lives, to be in balance. You can take the jewelry that you don't use. You can take the clothing, that, and then once you've given away the 80% the, the that you don't use, take one of the things that you really like <laughs> and practice giving that away. It's such a wonderful way. Listen to this poem. It was written by a, a great Persian poet named Hafiz. It says, even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. <laughs> Just look what happens with a love like that. It lights up the whole sky. It lights up the whole sky. There's no owing. There's no owing. You don't have to be... You can practice living in a state of contentment. This was so powerful for me. You, you just can't imagine how good it felt for one entire year 
to walk through every day and say, I'm content, I'm content. I start out every morning of my life. The first words, Hafiz says, if there's only one prayer that you say every day, make it thank you. Just say thank you. That's how I start. Wake up. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Source. Thank you, Tao. Whatever you want to call. The opening line of the Tao says, the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. As soon as you put a name on it, it dissolves. There's no name for it. It's just endlessly, invisibly, constantly in a state of creating, out of a state of love. The next thought that the Tao teaches us to change Change your thoughts, change your life. You really do. See, so much of the previous PBS specials that I've done on inspiration and intention, these were teaching people generically how to think differently. What Lao Tzu taught me was what to specifically think in place of thinking that. Instead of thinking that I don't trust my nature, he said, trust your nature. Instead of saying, I need more, he said, you need less. More is less. That comes right out of the Tao. Next thought. Move from thinking in a rigid way to thinking and being flexible, soft, and allowing. From rigidity to softness. What a wonderful transformation that is. I was standing looking at, with my son Sands, and we were on Maui, and we were looking at water, as water was going against some rocks and some cliffs and so on. And in these pictures, in this, in this moment, I said to my son, I said, uh, which do you think is stronger, the water or the cliff, the water or the rocks? Which one do you think is more powerful and stronger? And he said, well... <laughs> He said, the rocks, obviously, they're stronger and they're bigger and all that. I said, but I said, water is very, very patient, isn't it? How much chance do those rocks have <laughs> if, they're, if, they, if they want to survive? I mean, what chance do they have? That would, and, and Lao Tzu is speaking to us about understanding our nature by examining how nature works and then making it apply to our thoughts so that a soft thought, a thought that isn't a rigid thought, a thought that doesn't say, you have to be this way or you have to be that way, a thought that is not stiff, a thought that water, he, there are so many references to water and what we can learn from water. You're 75% water. The planet is 75% water. We are water. The rest of us is just muscled water. It's just, it's all water. And water is soft. Water can enter anywhere. You get into a conflict with somebody else and you picture yourself as water. You can enter with water in any place that there's an opening. If you can visualize yourself as a being who moves into the space of water, if you can see yourself that way, you can just enter into those places in the people that you love, in your children, in your spouse, in anyone at all, and, and enter there softly. Here's verse 8. The supreme good is water, which nourishes all things without trying to. And verse 78, right smack out of the Tao, nothing in the world is softer and weaker than water. But for attacking the hard, the unyielding, nothing can surpass it. There is nothing 
like it. Here it is. I asked when I, they designed this set, this beautiful set, and thank you designers for this. I asked if I could have water on the, on the stage. They did it, they figured it out. There's a, a... Now, I'm gonna try to get some of this water, okay? So you get down here and you just, I'm gonna just scoop this up and I, okay, now tighter you hold it, the less chance you have of doing anything with it, isn't it? How can I experience water? The way to experience water is to just get soft, just get unbending. And there it is, that's what water is. The minute I grasp it, the minute I try, and Lao Tzu is saying, the same thing is true in everything in your life. The more you grasp, the more you try to hold on to it, the more you try to be rigid with it, the less control you have of it. The softer you are, the less rigid you are, the more flexible you are as a person, the more you can accomplish. And this is a great way to practice in parenting as well. And this idea that a rigid thought, how many times have you heard this idea that if I tell you something, I'm going to stay consistent with it. We have a set of rules, these are the rules, and we'll do it this way. In the Tao it says the more rules you make, the more rule breakers you create. <laughs> it's true. The more rules you have in your house about how everything has to go. We had in our house, my wife would have a big jar of M&Ms. Peanuts, you know, different, they, with all these different multicolored ones. And, so, and the kids in our house, because we didn't feed them sugar and we didn't give them sodas and stuff like that. So they, you know, they were just more like a decoration. Every once in a while, someone would take them. They'd hardly ever be replaced. Now, when we had kids come over to our house who weren't ever allowed to have such horrible things, you should have seen their behavior. You know, they would scoop them up, they'd be putting them in their pockets, and they'd get their purses, and they'd open it up. And, you know, the whole thing would be empty. I'd say, what are you doing? He said, well, well you, you mean you could just have these whenever you want them? I said, well, we don't really have any rules about that. It's just, uh, uh, it's not something that we encourage or discourage. It's just there. It's like Emerson had a wonderful line. He said, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, a foolish consistency, a rigid consistency, so that there are many people who will say, if I say it on Monday, you can be absolutely certain that on Wednesday, I'm going to believe the same thing, regardless of what might happen on Tuesday. <laughs> now, Tuesday might have something real that you might want to be changing your mind. You might want to say, you know, I thought that this time, but now I've seen this, and now we can shift. And you can see how this can become when, and so much about the Tao is on leadership. Leadership in the family, leadership in the community, leadership geopolitically. Less rigidity, more openness, more willingness to listen and say, I changed my mind. <laughs> because a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. And what I believed on Wednesday has changed because of what happened on Tuesday. Now, another important thing to say to your children, to your friends, to your lover, to your spouses, to whomever, to the people you work with, words that we're so terrified to say, but which give us a sense of living with the Tao. I don't know. I don't know. I'll look it up. Say it. I don't know. It doesn't hurt. Say it again. I don't know. 
isn't it fearful? I mean, so many and it's like very freeing because my kids call, ask me something, and I say, I don't know. <laughs> they say, Dad, you know everything. You know everything. I say, Well, I don't know that, and uh, I'll look it up, or we'll try to find an answer to that. But I don't quite know. I know that um, even, you know, I spent 20 years running, and I ran every day for 20 years, for 22 years without missing a day, eight miles. Never missed a day. That's rigid, all right? Some call that obsessive. <laughs> but you brush your teeth every day, I used to say, and you don't call that obsessive. And uh, you go to the bathroom every day, and you don't say, well, he's obsessively doing that again today. You don't do that. You just... But anyway, what I learned is that in, even in the world of exercise, there are certain things that are built in to make us rigid, to make us stiff, to make us hard. And we lift, and we run, and we kick, and uh, we, this is what we call working out. There's another kind of working out that is ancient. It goes back to the time of Lao Tzu and before, which is called yoga. And yoga means union. It means union with your source. And when you do yoga, you can stay in the same place. You can do the equivalent of eight miles. When I used to run eight miles, I had to run four miles that way, turn around, four miles back. <laughs> and I'd be sweating. Now I can do yoga, and I can just stand in one place, and in 90 minutes, by being supple, by making myself stretch, by not being hard and rigid, I can, you know, I can get that out there, I can get that leg up, I can do these kinds of things, and 90, and 90 minutes later, you know, it's like I'm totally sweating, and, so, and I feel so different. I used to, when I would go out at night, to eat or something, after running so many miles, running marathons and doing those things, I'd go to get up and it would be, okay, it's going to take a little while, because <laughs> everything was so like That doesn't happen anymore, because I've given up hard. I've given up being rigid and substituted it for being supple, for being flexible, for living a life in which I don't have to always be so fierce. Listen to this verse of the Tao Te Ching. It's one of my all-time favorites, verse number 76. A man is born gentle and weak. At his death, he becomes hard and stiff. All things, including the grass and the trees, are soft and pliable in life, dry and brittle in death. Stiffness is thus a companion in death. Flexibility is a companion in life. And it's not just for how you exercise. It's how you think, how you think. In front of my place on Maui, there is a beautiful set of 11 or 12 palm trees. And these are like 30, 40, 50 feet tall. They've been there for, I don't know how long, decades. And when the winds come and when the storms come, the storms will blow them over. There they are, watch. And they're just these amazing elastic things. I learned so much from these things. I go out there, when I, would, when I did these, when I wrote the uh, essay in the book on the verse 73, I just went out there with the palm trees and I would just commune with these palm trees and they go all the way up and then they come all the way back. That's a symbol for how we need to think in our own lives. In verse 73 it says, it is heaven's way to conquer without striving. It does not ask, yet it is supplied with all that it needs. It does not hurry, 
yet it completes everything on time. One of my favorite lines from the Tao, one of my favorite beliefs from the Tao is this, that you're doing nothing. All of you, you're doing nothing. You're just being done. Just like you were the first nine months of your life, you think you're out there and you're making this happen and you're making that happen and you've got all these rigid things and, and you have to apply your life this way. You're not doing anything any more than you were having your fingernails show up when they were supposed to. And look at you, look at all of you, look around. You know, it's like, you know, what held it in yesterday? You know, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not doing anything. They fall out and, uh, and they don't fall out no matter how hard I try to keep them in there. Finally, my kids said, give it up, <laughs> give it up. So I was over in England and they told me that I couldn't take my shampoo bottles on the plane and there's nothing you can do about it. I said, yes, there is. <laughs> I'll just shave my head. <laughs> I no longer need shampoo. <laughs> okay, so we want to move from stiffness to flexibility. The next thought that I'd like to see us change that the Tao taught me so much was living by interfering to shift that to living by not interfering. Do you know that every one of your children have the anchor of the universe located within them. <laughs> and that Khalil Gibran, this is a paraphrase, he said, your children are not your children. They are the products of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not for you. They're not there for you. So what are you doing interfering in their lives? Now, I'm not talking about letting them play out in the traffic. <laughs> or play at the edge of a swimming pool if they don't know how to swim. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about, I called this when I, was, uh, when I was working on this and living this and practicing this for that full year of 2006, the bite your tongue, zip your lip, verses of the Tao. Verse 29 of the Tao. Do you think you can take over the universe and improve it? I do not believe it can be done. Everything under heaven is a sacred vessel and cannot be controlled. Trying to control leads to ruin. Trying to grasp, we lose. Allow your life to unfold naturally. Allow other people's lives to unfold naturally as well. We have parents, I see them a lot, they're called helicopter parents. Because <laughs> they're always hovering. They're hovering over their kids and they're telling them what to do and what not to do. And my son came over from England, my son Shane, and uh, he was gonna get ready to go to college, going to college in America. And my wife said to me, uh, so you're gonna take him uh, and show him how, about registration, right? I said, oh yeah, I'll be doing that. <laughs> She said, well, make sure that you help him because he doesn't know, have any idea how to register at the school, this great big school with thousands of people. I said, yeah, and I do, right? <laughs> I, I'm, I would know how to register kids at school, you know? And so uh, Shane got in the car and uh, I said, it's all gonna be fine, you'll all be fine. And we drive over to the campus and I drop him off and I have my tennis racket in the back. And <laughs> he said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm a prophet. I said, uh, I get paid by the thought. And uh, I have a tennis match, and then I have to walk on the beach so that I get paid by the time. He said, but what about the registration? I said, well, the registration, I said, you'll do a lot like I did when I learned to register. 
He said, well, what do you mean? I said, you'll just go up to the people and say, where is registration? <laughs> and they'll say, it's over there where all of those people are all lined up. Because I remember those days in a college of 40,000 students or so, finding out how to register. Tracy, did I take you to register, honey? No. <laughs> so he said, you mean you're just going? I said, yeah, you just go over there. I said, you want daddy to walk with you over and take you through graduate? You're 18 years old and you want daddy to register you? He said, oh, no, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> so we got home at the end of the, uh, the, end of the evening. Uh, when, I, when I got back home and... Uh, my wife had said to me, she said, did you help Shane at registration? Oh, I said, I gave him so much help. Probably the most help he ever had in his life. <laughs> I taught him how to do things for himself. <laughs> and so that I wouldn't have to be interfering and hovering over and figuring it all out for them. My children know that when their science project comes up, that I'm there for consultation, but I pass science. <laughs> I got through that myself. And you'll be doing your own science project. If I can help you, I'd be happy to help you. But I'm not going to be getting the glue and figuring out how to make a time clock and all of that. I said, you know, just, just look at a clock. That's how you tell time for me, whatever it might be. And, and it's, it's not an uncaring, and it's not a callous attitude at all. It's an awareness that your children have the anchor of the universe located within them. That's what Lao Tzu said. Now, my dear friend, who I love so much, She's right here in the audience. Carrie, right there. Carrie Evans from Molly. Um, she has two beautiful little daughters. And she asked me if I would watch them one afternoon when my grandson, Carter, was visiting. I said, uh, I'd be happy to watch them. She said, but you don't understand. I mean, they're going to they're gonna do this and they're going to do that. I said, you just go off. And she was studying for an exam. I said, you go study. Do whatever you have to do. I can handle three little kids out at the swimming pool for three or four hours. I can handle that. So she went off, very nervous, gave me lists, told me what to do, what they might say, what they might not say. And then if she says, now if Kylie says this, you tell Kylie, and if Kamiley says it was Kylie, Kamiley, and Carter. All right? <laughs> so they go out there, and right here, there's a little pool over here, a little swimming pool. And um, I watch them over in the swimming pool, and Kylie uh, takes the water, and splashes my grandson, uh, Carter, and splashes Kamali, and Kamali comes over to me and runs over within two minutes. Says, uh, Kylie splashed me. <laughs> well, of course, I'm working on the Dow. <laughs> Non-interference. And I said, uh, splashing, honey, is in the way of things. <laughs> when you're near water, splashing will take place. She says, yeah, but, but she splashed me. I said, you'll probably work this out. This will all be fine. And she stood there for the longest time with her little lip and so on, and finally she realized she wasn't getting anywhere with me. She went back. Before you know it, one of them had taken, now Kylie and Kamali are teaming up against Carter. And they pushed him under or whatever. Now, one of them is five, and one of them is four, and one of them is uh, seven or eight. And... Uh, Carter comes running over as fast as he can, runs over. He calls me Bampa. <laughs> I'm Grandpa. Bampa. 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 Miley. Miley pushed me under the water. I said, Carter, I'm a Taoist master. <laughs> but Bampa, Bampa, she pushed me. She put me under the water. I said, 
you'll just have to work this one out, Carter. I'm a Taoist master. This went on all for the, for the first hour or so. But I noticed as I was less interfering and less interfering that they were working it out. They tried again after a few times. They'd come over and they wanted this and they wanted one of them pushed and one of that. But each time when I let them know that I was watching and making sure they were safe, but I wasn't going to interfere. I wasn't going to resolve it. I wasn't going to settle their disputes for them. I wasn't going to be a helicopter parent, even for an afternoon. And the way that it re resolved itself was they have the anchor of the universe within them. They have a nature. They know what to do. One of my favorite things always to say to my children when there's a conflict is, you know what the right thing to do is. What do you think? You know. You have it in your heart. You are a divine being. They all know that. I've said those words to them over and over again. You'll figure it out. You'll work it out. Not, that, not I'm going to interfere. I'm going to tell them what to do. You can practice this so many places, so many ways in your life, particularly as parents, even in business. It's very important in businesses to allow the people to say at the end of the day, right out of the Tao, oh, we did that ourselves. We did it ourselves. Mm -hmm. In the Tao it says, there's a time for everything and everything in its time. There's a time for everything. Listen to this. Uh, there's a time for being ahead and a time for being at peace. There's a time for being in motion and a time for being at rest. There's a time for being vigorous and a time for being exhausted. And in the Bible, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under the sun. I practice, this was so helpful to me, particularly as I do my yoga practice. And in my yoga practice, it's, uh, there are some very exhausting postures. I do this Bikram hot yoga, all right? So it's 105 or between 105 and 110 for 90 minutes. And, and there's one that uh, I used to hate. It's called triangle, you know? And so you put your foot out here and then you do this and then you get yourself up and you go all the way down and you get yourself in balance like here. So you balance, 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 and you take your arms out here and then you take these like this and it's 105 degrees in there. You take one and you're looking up here at your arm, and you look, and you look, and you look, and then you bring it back, and it lasts a full minute. And I used to just wait for that minute to be over. Oh my God, when are they gonna bring me out of this posture? It was so exhausting. <laughs> I started practicing what the Tao teaches, and I remembered there's a time for being exhausted. There's a time for that. And as I practiced that, I said, and there's a time for being at rest, and it's coming, hopefully soon. <laughs> <laughs> but in your life, in your life, there's an awareness that there is a time for all the things that are going on that you think shouldn't be happening. In the Tao, it says that uh, hidden in all misfortune is good fortune. Hidden in the misfortune that you have is good fortune because no storm can last forever. Even nature cannot create a storm that lasts forever. Ultimately, hidden within every storm is calmness. Hidden within every flood is drought and dryness. Hidden within all of the storms of your life is the peace that you desire. And it leans on you if you stop telling yourself and just let yourself go with it, to be at harmony with it, rather than trying. You can see why this is called the wisest book ever written, and we're just touching on it here, just touching on this. Lao Tzu was green before Al Gore. <laughs> He was. This is verse 39 of the Tao Te Ching. 
When man interferes with the Tao, the sky becomes filthy, the earth becomes depleted, the equilibrium crumbles, creatures become extinct, therefore nobility is rooted in humility. Finally, I'd like to say to you, in understanding this idea of the Tao, is to take time yourself for being in nature. Take an hour a day, every day of your life, take an hour a day, no matter how busy you are, no matter what scheduling that you have, to get out in nature, walk barefoot on the grass. Walk bare, it's one of the great uh, ways to overcome an inability to sleep at night. Just go out when you can't sleep and just walk on the grass, walk on the earth and reconnect yourself. Now, go out and be with the tree and look at what you can learn from nature. Look at these trees. Look at these animals. You can study. You, look at that. Look, I mean, you can study a flower like that that is so magnificent as it's unfolding. That's an actual photograph of this thing growing and unfolding there. You know, be with that. You have much to learn from nature, from water, from the sky, from the winds, from the trees, from the birds. From, the more you do it, the more you see yourself in all of them, the more you'll feel yourself as a connected being. Living the Tao. Another thought to change. To change from thinking big to thinking small. It's so much of the Tao has in it statements that seem so paradoxical and so confusing to us. More is less, less is more. Um, think small and get great things done, accomplish great things. Listen to verse 64 of the Tao Te Ching. A tree that fills a man's embrace grows from a seedling. A tower nine stories high starts with one brick. And here's the most famous line out of the Tao. A journey of a thousand miles begins with what? The first step. One first step. Okay? So, today, I can stand up here on this stage in this beautiful, sacred place, in this beautiful yin-yang symbol, on this incredibly beautiful set that feels so much like nature. And I can say to you that in a very short time, this year, I will have completed 20 years without taking a drink of alcohol. 20 years, okay? Thank you. Now that's big. That's big. Because I drank every day. Not to get drunk, but I drank every day. Two or three beers every evening after running, and it was like, and I couldn't remember a day when I hadn't had, I thought back 10 years, 12, I couldn't think of a day, not one day in the previous decade or two that I had uh, not had a beer or several beers. So that's big. And if I would have tried, if I'd have said to myself 20 years ago, Wayne, you're going to quit drinking for the next 20 years, I would have gone immediately and had a drink. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just too big isn't it? It's just too big. You don't do big things. You do small things and thus accomplish great things. 
It's a very important distinction to make. Whatever it is that you would like to create or contribute or become in your life, take one step. How did I let drinking go for 20 years? And I don't even know about tomorrow. I never think about tomorrow and whether I'm going to have a drink. All I know for sure is that this won't be the day. I do it one day at a time. That's how you overcome anything called an addiction in your life. You take it, you reconnect yourself to the source from which you came, which is a source of what? Well-being, isn't it? And you get back and return, get on the return trip and say, I am connected to well-being. And I'll do this one day, one hour, one minute, one second if I have to at a time. And when you do it, I mean, it's behind in, in all of the programs for overcoming addictions and all of the work of Bill W., all of the work of Alcoholics Anonymous, all of the work of any kind of addictions. It isn't just alcohol. It can be food. It can be addiction to your emails. It can be addiction to work. It can be addiction to so many things that so many people find that they can't get past and to move themselves into a place where I think small. I've run, I ran seven marathons in my running years. And about the 22nd or 23rd mile, you begin to ask yourself about your sanity. <laughs> <laughs> and what am I doing here? And my body is breaking down. But the way that you finish the marathon is not by saying, I'm going to run 26 miles. You don't do that, especially when you've still got five or six to go. You just say to yourself, can I put my foot in front of the next one? Can I take one step at a time. Can I do it one step at a time? And before you know it, you've accomplished great things. I watched my wife give birth to uh, four children in right there in her, uh, in, in the delivery room with her. And she does not, you know, when you, when you have a baby, it takes nine months, doesn't it? You don't say to yourself, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta have a baby, I gotta get pregnant, I gotta deliver it, I gotta go through labor, I gotta, because that'll just drive you. And there are people who do that. And it's, it's, a, it's a torture for them. But I watched her do it one moment at a time in labor. Not what's going to happen an hour from now, what's going to happen this afternoon, am I going to have to have the, uh, none of that. And she did it all naturally because it was all, and her mind was so strong as she was doing it that I couldn't even penetrate. I couldn't even communicate with her. She was so focused on just being here. She would say, these are not labor pains. These are just signals. Just signal, and I can take this signal. I can do this for one minute. I can do this. I can. It's the way everything gets done. I watch the great tennis players on the planet. Roger Federer, Pete Sampras, these people that are really masters at this game that I played for so many years, not even close to those kinds of levels. And they're, they'll be in a tournament, they'll have a seating, and they'll say, here's the first round, here's the second round, here's the third round. There's no such thing as playing the fourth round before you've played the, the first round. And then when you get to the first round, you don't go out there and say, well, um, I've got to beat this person in three sets. You say, I'm going to think one serve at a time. I'm going to think one point at a time. And every great athlete, I don't care who they are, they will always say, I can't think out there in big ways. I can only think small. Thinking small is what gets great things done. Verse 63. Achieve greatness in little things. Take on difficulties while they are still easy. 
do great things while they are still small. The sage, the sage, one of my daughter's names, the sage, does not attempt anything very big and thus achieves greatness. Greatness comes from being in the moment, here, present, in the now. The sage confronts difficulties, but never experiences them. This is the idea of thinking small. And finally, I'd like to see you change from this thought. Change from seeing yourself as separate to seeing yourself as connected to everyone and everything in the universe. Our ego tells us that we are separate, that who we are is this body that we have, and everybody out there is separate from me. Nothing has been more profound and more powerful and important for me than this verse of the Tao Te Ching. This idea that we are all one. That all of us emanated from the same source. And by doing so, by emanating from the same source, we need to see ourselves as connected to every single being, every single person, every single flower, every single tree, every single animal, if you can see yourself in everyone, we're all connected. It makes about as much sense to me to have a smoking section in a restaurant as it does to have a peeing section in a swimming pool, right? <laughs> Oh, no, 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 kids, no, 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 don't pee over here. We pee over here. <laughs> Does that make any sense? The Native Americans, one of my favorite quotes, I've used it many, many times, the Native Americans would say, no tree has branches so foolish as to fight among themselves. No tree has branches so foolish as to fight among themselves. We are all branches on a tree called humanity. It, when you read the Tao, when you read this idea about changing these thoughts and changing your life, you're going to see endless verses that speak to the absurdity of the idea of you having an enemy. The idea that you and anyone else on this planet is an enemy. In the Tao it says, I and enemy cannot exist in the same sentence. And he said, even those who go to war, the ones who will triumph in war are those who go to war without an enemy. And they will treat every victory in war not as something to celebrate, but as a funeral, as an indication that we haven't reached the highest place within ourselves to see that even those people that we judge to be our enemy are really connected to us. And it says in the Tao that a bad man, a bad man is a good man's job. And a good man is a bad man's teacher. A good man is a bad man's teacher. So finding that and seeing that, listen to verse 10, carrying body and soul and embracing the one 
Can you avoid separation? One who heeds this power brings the Tao to this very earth. This is the primal virtue. This was so helpful to me as I thought about it. Remember, I spent four and a half days on each one of these verses. And in those, each one of those four and a half days, I wasn't writing. I wrote the last four or five hours of those four and a half days. For four and a half days, <clears throat> I took that verse and I went out into the world and I looked at everyone that I encountered, everyone that I saw, and I tried to see myself in them. The person that was, you know, dressed differently than I would dress, the person who was uh, not as attractive, the person who was very old, the person who was very young, the person who used language particularly that was possibly offensive, when I saw, would look out there and I would practice not judging. Because the only difference between a flower and a weed is a judgment, isn't it? It's just a judgment. It's just a judgment. And if we want to end violence in our lives and in our society, we have to learn to change our thoughts. Remember the, the uh, dandelions? When I was growing up uh, out in Michigan, uh, they had, we had these, these dandelions. Uh, the dandelions would have... Um, uh, <clears throat> at a certain time of the year, they would get all these little fuzz balls at the top of them, the yellow little flower part. I always liked the dandelions. I thought they were really beautiful. Uh, and then these, they have these little fuzz balls. Now imagine if you want to end vi the, the, the problem of dandelions on your lawn, and you see them all out there with all their little fuzz balls. So you go out there, and you take a shovel, and you turn it upside down, and you start smacking all of the dandelions like this. And what do you do when you use violence to attempt to end the presence of these dandelions, which are problem for you on your lawn, is they all scatter, and then in the spring, guess what you got? You got more, you got new generations, new generations of dandelions. There's such a lesson in that, isn't there? There's a great lesson that when we use violence, as a means to resolve our disputes, whether it's individually with each other, or whether it's in countries, or whether it's in communities, whenever it is that we resort to that kind of not seeing myself in others, and out of this kind of a consciousness will emerge those people who will ultimately begin to get this. Because if we don't get it, if we don't get it, like if we don't really get it, Civilization, as we know it, will not survive. It will not survive. We have to learn that the people that we call enemies, no matter how horrendous they may behave toward us, there is still something of us in all of them. And we can figure out a way. Yes, we, of course, have to uh, defend ourselves, and yes, we don't allow people to push us, or all of those kinds of things, but at a deeper and a higher level, Lao Tzu was asking us, to go within and find that place of, of peace and try to reach out to that and help someone to make a U-turn, those people can be reached because they have the anchor of the universe located within them. In verse 25 of the Tao, it says, Thus, to know humanity, understand earth. To know earth, understand heaven, which is where earth came from. To know the way, understand the great within 
yourself, within yourself. Look within and see it. Now, every single person watching this program will have conflicts with somebody in their life on a fairly regular basis, especially if you're in a, a marriage or in a partnership of some kind. Certainly, if you have children, you're going to have, the, you're going to have conflicts. Now, think about what you do when you have a conflict and that conflict comes to a, an end. The conflict is over. You've expressed your opinion. They've, you may have yelled at each other. You may have screamed at each other. You may not have understood each other. But it's over now. How do you end the conflict? Lao Tzu says, the person of Tao, the person of Tao will eliminate all of the pain, all of the stress, all of the anger, all of the hatred, if they decide to end the conflict with love. Just be the one who ends the silence by saying, we don't agree, but I love you. And it's all over. You have moved a person from staying in the world of the 10,000 things into the world of God, into the world of Source, because the Source has no violence in it. It creates endless numbers of flowers and beings and creations without using any force at all. There's no force there. Here's one of my teachers who lived in Bombay, which is now Mumbai in India. His name was Nisargadatta Maharaj. He said, wisdom is knowing I am nothing. Love is knowing I am everything. And in between the two, my life moves. In between the two. The ability to take a conflict and to end it with love is one of the most powerful things that you can do. It has been a great lesson for me. When we have a conflict, what we do is I will be the person that will pick up that phone. You can be certain of it. I will, I will end that conflict with love. And guess what that does to the conflict? It's over. It's over. You can't pick a fight with someone who just doesn't want to fight anymore, who just sends you love. So I want to summarize some of these thoughts, and there are so many. Change your thoughts based upon the wisdom of the Tao, and your life will change. There's many principles to live by in the Tao. First, remind yourself that there is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. Bring happiness to all that you do. You accomplish much by trying less. It's, this, it's so inconsistent, isn't it, with what we lived in the Western world. But the less you try, when I go out and swim in the ocean, and I do it almost every day, I try to do between 30 and, and minutes and an hour every day, being out there in that ocean. And I just get out there, and if I try less, my arms just seem to know what to do, and the breathing just all works, and it's all, and I can swim all day. As soon as I try, as soon as I struggle, as soon as I try, the minute that I move myself into trying, it's like if I were to take this little cap here and drop it right there and say, I'm going to try to pick this up. I'm going to try to pick this up. This is what Lao Tzu was speaking about. So all of this, 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 this I'm trying, I'm really trying, I'm really trying. All of this is called, in reality, 
not picking it up. <laughs> that's what that's called, not picking it up. But when I just get easy and do less, see yourself, the Tao says, in everyone you encounter. A great lesson. Every single being, especially the ones that we read about who were told are our enemies, see yourself in them. Know that whoever they are, wherever they live, they want what we want. They want what I want. They want to be at peace. They don't want to be always struggling. They don't want to be sick. They just want to be loved, whoever they are. I know the skepticism of that. It's like, yes, but, all of the yes, but, but if they got it too, Lao Tzu wasn't speaking to, well, some are going to get this and some probably won't. He was speaking to all of us. Trust in others, the Tao says, to know what's best for themselves. Trust in that. Trust in the pliability, the flexibility of your babies. God, those little babies, they're so great when they're like, you know, two weeks old. You can take their foot, put it behind their neck, stick it around here like this, <laughs> put it in their mouth. They're so flexible. I mean, you can do anything. You pick them up, you turn them upside down, you watch them when they start to learn to walk. And they run, 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 crash, they go down into the walls and all of this, and you think, oh my God, this kid will never walk again. Up they go, and they don't. Trust, trust in their flexibility. Live without attachment and be generous. Be strong by bending, by bending. We need to learn this in our lives. We need to learn this in the world. It's not so important to be right. It's so much more important when you have a choice to be right or to be kind. Always pick kind. Always pick kind. Practice radical humility. Live low. Live low like the ocean. Stay low and all the streams will come to it. That's why it's so powerful because it doesn't lord anything over anyone. And rather than looking for miracles, See everything as miraculous, everything in your life. There was a man who had a Tao experience, what I call a quantum moment. His name was John Newton. He lived back in the beginning of the 18th century, and he was crossing the ocean. He was a, a slave trader. He had a ship full of human cargo that he was going to trade into slavery in the most hideous practice that was so common at that time in our, in our history. And in the middle of a storm on his way over there with all of these people, he was 22 years old or 23 years old, and he thought he was going to die, and he thought the whole, it was like, a, he must have hit a hurricane or something out there that was before satellites could warn people. And while he thought he was in that state of dying, he took out a pencil and a paper and he wrote on the back of an envelope, he wrote, I once was lost, and now I'm found. And it was grace, it was grace that taught my heart to feel. It was grace that brought me home. And when the storm was over, he had a moment. He reconnected to his source. Anybody out there can recon reconnect to the source, to the Tao, and become a being of Tao. Remember, it's a return trip. And you can make that return trip while you're alive. Remember the parrot. He knows much more than we do. <laughs> and he returned back to Africa, and he released the slaves, it is said. And for the next 55 years of his life, for the next 55 years of his life, he shifted and became the most ardent spokesman 
as an abolitionist to abolish that hideous practice of slavery. That what he devoted his life to it. A former slave. It's like going from Saul to Paul, you know, from being a person who crucifies and murders Christians to being the author of a big portion of the New Testament as St. Paul. In a moment, in a moment, it's possible for any of us. And there's a lady who I think has one of the great voices on this planet today. Her name is Cecilia, and she has been traveling with me. She's from Norway. She has sung at, con at uh, conventions and places that I have uh, been. Um, she sings, we call her the nightingale, don't we? The, she's an angel. She sings like an angel. And she's accompanied by the whales. These whales, these beautiful creatures who are in my front yard every morning on Maui, the humpbacks, who have these beautiful tails that flash and flash and, and they just, and some days you can, I'll be walking along the beach and I will hear someone say, honey, this guy was having on a honeymoon there and he said, honey, come on in, come on in. You can hear the whales singing, they're all singing. And she's going, I don't, I don't think I want to get my feet wet and I don't think I get my hair wet. And he said, no, but you can hear them. And I shh flew into there I, with my clothes on and went underneath and I stayed under there for like an hour, up and back, up and listening to these sounds of the whales, these beautiful creatures in nature, these natural beings who I feel so connected to and so a part of. And she sings accompanied by the whales. Now getting those whales into the sound booths and getting the earphones on, <laughs> very, very difficult. You got to really appreciate what we did here to bring this to you. Right? And here she is. Her name is Cecilia. She sings Amazing Grace, accompanied by the whales. One of my truly favorite people and greatest singers I've known. Cecilia? Thank you. Namaste. I want to close this beautiful presentation on the Tao, Cecilia, with a poem that was written by a woman. Her name is Naomi Long Magid. She's from Detroit, went to Wayne State University. She was named the Poet Laureate of Detroit, an acclaimed African-American poet. Listen, listen to these words. It sums up all that I've been saying. I wouldn't coax the plant if I were you, such watchful nurturing may do it harm. Let the soil rest from so much digging and wait until it's dry before you water it. The leaf's inclined to find its own direction. Give it a chance to seek the sunlight for itself. Much growth is stunted by too careful prodding too eager tenderness. The things we love, we have to learn to leave alone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, people, we are back after that incredible lecture 
from Mr. Wayne Dyer. Now, he did make internet references, so I'm assuming that lecture took place probably in the late 90s or maybe into the 2000s. Not really sure, but it was a great lecture in front of an audience that included Louise Hay. We were talking about that. They worked together with the Hay House, and for this lecture, Louise Hay was in the house. So, you know... There she was. Bryn, what did you think? <laughs> that was a, a great joke there. Thank you. Um, yeah, I thought that was a fabulous lecture. And I guess I would say right off the bat, I learned about being womb-like and being water-like, which can, coincidentally is in the water when you're in the womb. So both of those things lead us into a life with much less resistance. Flexibility was a key point. Yes, he was talking about that as a key component of the Tao. And the Tao to Ching, he did a really good breakdown of various aspects of this very powerful book, this very ancient book. And the gist of the whole conversation being change your thoughts, change your life, right? He talked about how he was 65 years old when he had this breakthrough and doing so, pointing out that these type of changes can happen at any age. You can have paradigm shifts. You can have breakthroughs, epiphanies, quantum leaps of development in your own consciousness at any age. Because I know, people, my wonderful, beautiful listeners, that you show up in every age category from zero to 1,000. I have so many listeners of every age. And it just highlights the fact that yes, these downloads, these life-changing downloads, they can happen for anyone at any time. And that's okay. Whenever they show up, it's absolutely the perfect right time. Maybe you don't think so in the moment. You're like, wow, I didn't have this happen like 20 years ago. I know I felt that way about certain things. However, everything just is, as he was saying with the Tao, it's just the way. Bryn, what did you want to add to that? Actually, I thought that was a really important point that he made right away and perhaps could have even spent more time on it. But I think that people and society do get really locked into age paradigms about what's possible or what's not possible. And letting that piece go is a flexibility. I mean, that's something to not be rigid to. What is it supposed to be like when you're 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 and or 20 or 30 or whatever? But uh, letting go of that allows you to experience things in a way that you wouldn't if you had that uh, cage around yourself, the age cage. And overall, he just kind of went through various universal truths and then just touched on cornerstones or peaks in spiritual development for humanity, for humans, like letting go of your ego. He's saying, die while you're alive so many other people have said that so many other different ways, but point being, get outside the ego, get outside your third dimensional life specific perspective, like who you are in this life, like get outside of all that and get to your higher self and then come back with that new perspective. A lot of psychedelic people talk about that. There's the life, death, rebirth kind of situation that shows up in the psychedelic paradigm. And that's a huge part of it. And that's the foundation that he built off of as he continued his 
conversation. What do you think about that one? Die while you're alive, friend. Oh, absolutely. And I think a big part of that death, it's, it's not really, I hear a lot about the death of the ego and I don't think that that's truly possible while you're in the third dimensional body because your ego is your face to the world. That's your, you know, your persona and that's how you interact with other humans. But it's more about that recognition of the divinity and the perfection that we all came from and that we are all part of and being able to let go of, you know, what he was talking about, the things that you have or the things that you do being who you are, because when those things are gone, then you you don't have that or you're not that. And then, and then what? And so that recognition of that, you're always that perfection, no matter what is happening in your physical dimensional life, that, that death is what you have to go through in order to be able to grow and, and uh, live in a divine state while in your, in your physical body. Yes. The ego has a purpose, but it can't be the main force. The only thing that you anchor your consciousness in, it has to just be a tool to be used while you function as a human in your life in the third dimension. And in that life, you have to trust in your own nature, which is interesting. I think he's talking about intuition, natural healing, and the fact that you came from divinity like trust that there's a bigger plan for your life that there's a reason that you're here trust in the fact that all of these various forces and factors came into play in order to put you right where you're at right now it's very powerful absolutely it's the trust and the faith that the plan is beyond what you can see or what you know every that's another thing that is in the Tao, i believe and i don't know what I can't say what verse it is, but it's whatever, wherever you are is the path. Like whatever's happening to you is the thing that's happening for whatever lesson you need to be learning for whatever, whatever turn on the path you're taking and to trust in that is going to free you in a lot of ways. Yes. Have faith in the divine plan. That is your life. I mean, I know very hard to process sometimes as humans. It's hard to patch into that higher frequency understanding, but you got to have faith. You have to see the divine in everything and always realize there is that greater awareness, plan, understanding, consciousness, all of the above. And it's with you. And you have to stay humble though. That's the big part. He's saying you have to stay humble. Of course, that plays into the ego aspect we were talking about earlier, but always, no matter what, like you're like learning these things, you're listening to this podcast. If you've listened to all 150 episodes, this is episode 151. If you've listened to all 150 episodes, you've learned a lot and you've grown, but you got to stay humble. You got to stay humble and realize that all of that information, the growth doesn't necessarily make you better or bigger than anybody else. And once you integrate that understanding so deeply that it becomes your subconscious behavior then, and you want to do that because it's a universal truth. I mean, it's an absolute truth. Then even more magical things happen, even bigger divine situations manifest in your life, but you have to stay humble. Right. And 
which which also plays into what he was talking about being soft and being flexible and being like water. I mean, that, that all has to do with humility as well. And the humility piece is also part of that being soft and being flexible. The more you resist, like, no, I don't want to be on the, this path. I don't want to do this thing. The harder it's going to be for you to accept and learn and push through whatever is there for you. Um, so when he did that little example of like grasping the water and then there's nothing in his hand, which is something, you know, that lots of people have used as an example, but it's such a simple truth to reflect on and remember that grasping and, and holding on to things or to be like, I'm in charge of the water really doesn't get you anywhere. Are you ready to get rid of 80% of your wardrobe, Bryn? Because I'm going to tell you, I have a lot of clothes that I never wear. I want to get rid of them now after listening to that. I have a lot of stuff in my closet. It's like, oh, I'll wear that. It just never happens. Some of these articles of clothing I haven't worn in years, to be honest. They're beautiful. I like them, but I don't use them. So why do I have them for this time that's potentially never going to come? It's a lot of weight, a lot of prosperity teachers and a lot of Feng Shui teachers, a lot of people like that out there will tell you to purge constantly and just keep what you really use and that's resonant with your being at that moment because it's just heavy energy. There's just no need for it. I totally understand that. Agreed. Yeah, it is a great thing to be able to purge. It's a personal challenge of mine for sure. 80% Bryn, you have to let 80%, it go. 80%, I know. Well, I don't have to, but I, I could, <laughs> oh, I could choose God. to. <laughs> there you go. Well, what would saying, Wayne Dyer would say? Would Wayne Dyer say you have to? He probably would say, no, you don't have to do anything. But yes. Um, WWWDD. It would be a energetic benefit to be able to release the 80% of clothing or whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Can you sense the resistance, people? Look. I'm just going to keep going so I don't get in trouble with Brynn here. And one final point that I'd like to just touch on before we go here, and we've had an incredible discussion. I really enjoyed that Wayne Dyer lecture. I'm so glad we have these recordings and he's still teaching us, but he said that civilization won't survive unless we evolve into a higher consciousness. He was saying that in his own way that we need to do this to survive. Now, Survive is a strong word. I don't think we would die. We would just be in the same spot. Like, I don't think there's going to be this die off or incredible cataclysm or something like that, but we would just be stuck in the same patterns over and over like that movie Groundhog's Day. If you're familiar with that American movie Groundhog's Day with Bill Murray, where he wakes up every day and the same thing happens. We're just going to be in that level of consciousness. So we have to evolve past that. So if we want civilization to be more than it was before to truly evolve, yes, we have to integrate these higher frequency concepts. We have to do the things that all of these wonderful teachers like Wayne Dyer are telling us to get there. And I think we all are. If you're listening to this, you've been doing a lot of these things or at least listening and getting it in your consciousness, even that alone, like the words, the audio going into your consciousness is something, it's something going in and you know about these things. So you want this too. We need this. You understand that. We just have to keep working on ourselves. So Bryn, was there any final points that you had before we go? Um, I'm going to say, I appreciate that he verbalized the recognition of looking to nature for how to be or how we are really that as above so below 
tenants and universal law, um, just, you know, being like the water, being like the bending palm trees, being like the dandelion seeds, all the different things um, that we are and that we can be. And when we're lost or when we're stuck or when we're struggling or when we're resisting, um, looking to nature and just being with and a part of the earth that we're on is, what do they say? A boon to the soul. Is that a, am I saying that phrase right? I think it is. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, people. Anyways. Wow. What an episode. Check out the Tao Te Ching. 400 BC. It was supposedly written and it's credited to Lao Tzu. Even before Confucius. Confucius was a student of Lao Tzu who wrote the Tao Te Ching. 81 chapters. Various versions and translations. I'm sure the heart of it's there. Maybe Wayne Dyer has his own translation of the Tao Te Ching. You know, there are a set of children's books called Zen Shorts. John J. Muth, I believe, is the author. And he wrote some picture books about like a Zen panda. And he goes through some of the lessons and anyways, they're really cool for kids. Um, but one he, I, I thought of that because Wayne Dyer talked about always finding something good in a situation that you deem to be awful. Yes, finding the silver lining in the gray cloud. And looking online, yes, there's a Down to Ching as read by Wayne Dyer out there. So check it out, people. And now we know about Wayne Dyer. Incredible human being. He was with us as all of these lecture episode guests are with us in spirit and energetically. So thank you again for joining us. And we will see you next week. Midnight on Earth. Thank you.